electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a $10 trillion tab. Are there enough buyers for a tidal wave of U.S. debt about to hit the market? We're going to hear from hedge fund legend Kyle Bass. Tesla's woes mount. Is a major shakeup of its board the answer? Watch the throne. Drug king Eli Lilly preparing a big update in the battle over weight loss drugs. A decade to remember. Microsoft, Satya Nadella marking an epic 10 years at the helm. We'll get a special look at what he's likely planning next. And has Meta and the rest of social media become too powerful? Billionaire Frank McCourt wants to knock it down to size. He will join us to explain how. And this could be our tastiest Make It Mondays yet. We're going to meet the entrepreneur who is wrapping up millions with dumplings. And yes, there will be samples. All that and more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Happy Monday, everybody. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. We have all that and more coming up in the hour. But first up on Last Call, with everything else going on lately, you may not have noticed this, but you should. China's stock market is in free fall, and we wonder if the economy is going with it. Domestic stock indexes in Shanghai and Shenzhen continue to crumble. It comes as a weak economy, real estate slump, and tensions with America have rattled investors in China. Now, Chinese officials vowed to try to stabilize the market and crack down on what they call malicious short selling. But none of that helped. In fact, today, one index in China down 8 percent. The blue chip Hang Seng Index out of Hong Kong has now lost half of its value since the January 2018 peak. So why should you care about what is happening in China? Well, of course, some of the biggest American companies, some of which you may own shares in, have significant exposure to China. I want you to think about Apple, Starbucks, Las Vegas Sands. Those stocks have not been hit too bad, at least not yet. But also recently, we've had shares of 3M and DuPont tank in part because of weakness in Chinese chemicals, which could be another bad leading economic indicator. So what exactly is going on here? Let's talk about it all with somebody who knows a thing or two about China and markets. That is famed hedge fund manager Kyle Bass, founder and chief investment officer of Heyman Capital Management. Kyle, I mean, we knew things were bad. Evergrande, the biggest property developer in the world, liquidate, liquidate, didn't go bad, went bankrupt and now is liquidated. But when we see indexes fall 8% in a day, something's up. Well, actually, something's down, but uh, good to see you, Brian. Um, I left I think the door been- right open on that one. Yeah, you did. This time it wasn't a revolving door, which is better for you. And maybe we'll get to that one day. But um, I think that uh, uh, when you have a scenario like Evergrande, Evergrande and Country Garden together have $500 billion worth of debt. Two companies have $500 billion. Every single property developer in China that's that's public or listed is in default bankruptcy today. Um, 
when the Chinese miracle, and I put the miracle in quotes, uh, when the Chinese miracle was running its course, uh, it was all real estate focused, let's say all, the substantial majority of Chinese GDP growth was real estate and the concentric circles that, that surround real estate. And now you're having a reversal after a, a, a an unregulated and, and uh, unabated climb in real estate. Now you're seeing a real estate collapse. So this is just like the U.S. financial crisis on steroids. They have three and a half times more banking leverage than we did going into the crisis. And they've only been at this banking thing for a couple of decades, Brian. China is going to get much worse no matter how much their regulators say we're going to oh, we're going to protect individuals from Melissa short selling. Imagine, imagine regulators blaming a 15 year swoon on their stock market on short sellers. It's just uh, it's it's hilarious. Well, I think politicians everywhere have that in common. They got to find something easy to blame. But go, I want to go back to your point, OK, because a lot of a lot of our audience, very smart, probably the smartest audience out there may not fully comprehend how big Country Garden and Evergrande are or were. They're not household names here. $500 billion in debt is probably, and I'm going to guess, more debt than the entire Dow 30 has combined, something like that. China's economy, to your point, has really been about one thing, and that is real estate. It is not low-cost exports. Sure, they, they make a lot of money in that, too. But real estate, trading off it, Flipping it, I mean, it all sounds very familiar to something you're very familiar with, 2007 in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, the leverage in their system is about three and a half times or 350% greater than the leverage in our system was. And we've been at capital markets for well over 150 years, and look at how bad we screwed it up. They, the architecture, the basic architecture of the Chinese economy is broken. And it's broken because it was real estate centric. And 70% of Chinese uh, individual assets are in real estate. And real estate's down, uh, we don't know what the number is, nobody knows, down 25, 30, 40%. And the banking system has, you know, 30, 40% exposure and three and a half times more leverage. So you can do all this math and feel realize China's in real trouble. Xi Jinping announced over the weekend that he wants to make uh, talking about China's economy in a negative way you know, a national security issue. So he started wiping websites clean of negative economic data about China. I mean, uh, when you start pointing at short sellers and, and eliminating data online, you know how bad it is over there. And and it's a he's in a real, real trouble. And, and back back to comparing 500 billion and yeah. trying to understand the size in the global financial crisis, the U.S. banking system lost about 800 billion dollars and we re-equitized it with common and preferred securities, injections of capital. Um, we're talking about $500 billion worth of losses or almost that much in two companies and all the rest of the developers in, in bankruptcy. And we haven't even talked about their banks yet. We're just talking about two companies losing $500 billion. Uh, their local government marketplace, local government debt marketplace is a $13 trillion equivalent marketplace and they sell real estate to Chinese developers to pay their bills in the local government. Well, guess what? That's not happening either. And those local governments are all defaulting now. Yeah. I mean, it is quite literally China had 20 plates spinning and all the plates are crashing right now. Yeah. To, for, for more context, uh, I just looked it up. Equity residential, publicly traded here, EQR, 
one of, if not the biggest residential apartment builders in the United States, has yeah. debt of $8.4 billion. So that's, that's, that's one of, if not the biggest here, $8.4 billion versus $500 billion there. Here's the question. There's two questions. Number one, if or when do we start to feel their pain here, or are we insulated enough? And is there a point at which the markets there get so bad that even a Kyle Bass might think about investing in China? Yeah, that, that will happen on the 12th, the 12th of never. As long as Xi Jinping's alive, um, investing in a communist party-based marketplace is just a fool's errand. And all of these fiduciaries in the United States should actually be brought uh, to arbitrations for, for their constituencies losing money. When you take additional risks, like you take investing in a communist-based nation, you take Xi Jinping risk, you take the risk of no PCAOB covered audits, you take the risk of the government just disappearing people if you or, or turning off an industry. If you don't like post-secondary education, well, we'll just turn it off. Uh, if you want, you know, uh, a seat, your CEO could just wake up missing tomorrow and may never come back. Uh, if you take all of those in incremental and additional risks, you should be receiving outsized or fantastic yeah. potential rewards. And in 15 years, you've lost third of your money. And in 15 years in the S&P, you've made 340 percent. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes no fiduciary sense. It makes no no actual uh, economic sense. Mm -hmm. It makes there is no sense. It makes to investing in China makes no sense unless you're just a blind dummy and you say, "Well, they're the second largest economy. I have to be invested there." Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from a fiduciary, and that's just dead wrong. Well, there is another angle to the China story, okay, which is debt, and I want to talk about debt. That we are. As we know, $34 trillion in debt in the United States. There is about $10 trillion, according to Apollo Investments, that is coming due this year. In other words, it's going to have to, we're going to have to reissue new debt. And for that debt, we're going to have to find buyers. Now, China had been, for good or ill, a big buyer of our national debt. The percentage of international buyers for our debt, not just China, Kyle, has gone down over the last couple of years, according to Apollo. Do you, and there's a good chart, thanks guys. Do you worry that because of China's economic weakness and also just other sort of antagonistic aspects with the United States, they're gonna buy less and less US debt because whether they do or not, I do wonder, will anyone? I mean, 10 trillion is a lot of money even for the United States. Okay, so first of all, dear listener, don't be alarmed by Brian's uh, lead, up, lead in here. Um, look. We have always funded the majority of our debt on, on the front end. So what you're saying is we're going to be rolling Treasury bills. That doesn't scare anyone, Brian. Uh, Treasury bills pay, you know, five five fifty right now. That, that the world is is rushing to buy our Treasury bills. The fact that foreign ownership has declined is a natural result of China's economic collapse. China needs dollars. They need hard currency to buy 12 million barrels of oil every day, to buy eight and a half BCF of LNG every day, to buy 40% of their food, they require dollars to buy and close on. So at the top of China's ownership of US debt, they own 1.2 trillion of our 34 trillion of debt. Now they own less than 800 billion and they're selling it like it's the national pastime because they need the money. 
So when you think about you, the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, okay? We have 25% of the world's GDP. We have 40% of the world's capital markets, Brian. We have the deepest, most liquid, most trusted capital markets in the world. And China's demise is our net benefit from a capital markets perspective. Because $2 trillion of passive capital went into China. And that's going to get vaporized or end up losing a lot of money. And those people are going to end up coming back here and saying, man, was I stupid. I should be investing in the deepest, most liquid, trusted capital markets where we actually have a rule of law. And you actually have positive returns yeah. over a 15-year period. So it, it anyway, uh, the, the, the whole debt scenario, by the way, it's bad. Not, it's bad. Not and trying to scare anybody. Fiscally irresponsible. And I knew but I wouldn't scare you. Don't be alarmed. Not not being I just want to show the debt numbers because they're out there. And I wanted to worry about whether or not China would buy it. But the headline will be Kyle Bass's Don't Worry. It's all fine. At least No, China will not buy yeah. it. They'll keep selling it because they have to. There you go. They need the money, as you said it. Kyle Bass, always appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pleasure, All right, so Brian. quickly, let's take a look at what happened to your money today. Not a great open to the week. Markets fell a little bit, but I will say this, well off our lows of the day. The big stud and dud. Stud was Estee Lauder. Hate these kind of stories. Laid off a bunch of people. Stock rises. I think that's gross. Air products and chemicals down 15 and a half. Guess what? Weakness in where? China, right? APD, a big hydrogen renewable play, down 15% because of China. Quick check on futures if we can, mildly in the red. All right, we are just getting started on a Monday up next. Securing its crown, how Eli Lilly could soon declare overall victory, maybe with one of them, in the weight loss drug battle. Plus, the one city that apparently could not get enough of last night's historic Grammy Awards. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the headlines you need to set up your day tomorrow. First up, the Grammy Awards, they took a fast car toward rating success. 16.9 million people tuned in, a 34% jump from last year. And can you guess which city was the top-rated TV market last night? Anybody? Well, the answer is Kansas City. The Taylor Swift effect is real. Next, defense tech company Palantir popping after a report of surging revenue. Palantir is known for its work with the U.S. government and allies, but commercial revenue grown 70% from last year. CEO Alex Karp says demand for AI, of course, 
And the company's large language learning model is unrelenting. Shares of Palantir are soaring after hours as a result. Finally, Eli Lilly reporting earnings tomorrow morning. Now, shares of Lilly, they are trading at an all-time high in anticipation of those numbers. And this kind of begs the question, can anybody, maybe outside of Novo Nordisk, which makes Ozempic and Wegovy, compete with Eli Lilly and its Mount Jaro? The weight loss drug craze is printing money for investors. America has a well-known obesity epidemic in 47 U.S. states. More than 30% of adults are either obese or overweight. Only California, Colorado, and Hawaii are lower. And it seems like everybody is trying to get on these drugs. The FDA says some doses of Mount Jaro are in short supply, and that has set the stock soaring. But can Lilly and maybe Nova Nordisk keep these crowns? And is there any downside to these so-called miracle drugs? Let's bring in somebody who knows this industry very well, Dr. Kavita Patel. She's a primary care physician and an NBC News contributor. Dr. Patel, good to see you. How many of your patients come in and, and ask you for these drugs? Yeah, Brian, uh, first of all, I think that it's an incredible class of drugs that we have to kind of look at by 2030 estimated to be a hundred billion dollar market. So those are real numbers. And you're talking about the stock prices and it translates to patients, not only my patients, but if you look at the surge in telehealth companies that are trying to help get drugs to patients, it is just off the charts. And, and there unfortunately are many times when I say to a patient, let me walk you through the fact that you'll likely need to be on this drug the rest of your life. And you might not be the right person for this because we might not see as dramatic a weight loss profile as you see on social media, for example. So there's a bit of a reality, but no question. This is an entire generational lifetime changer in the category of cancer drugs and other drugs that can save lives and shift our life expectancy. But uh, but I got to imagine, doctor, they're, they're not perfect. In fact, I mean, listen, like everybody, right. I, I know some people that have that have that are on them now that have tried them. And, and a number of people just, again, this is super, super anecdotal, have just kind of reported getting, like feeling sick or like a, they had a stomach ache all the time. Yeah, a number of the side effects do have to do with kind of the GI tract, everything from feeling sick, nausea, vomiting. And you're right, Brian, this isn't a drug for everyone. Certainly for diabetics, this is one, should be considered kind of one of the top drugs because of the effect we saw in the initial trials on diabetics specifically, but we're talking about weight loss, which is really that total market that we're discussing. And that's where there's an opportunity. If you can unseat the crown jewels that are placed by Nova Nordisk and Eli Lilly, it could come in the form of competitors in this space that offer something oral. That's already something that's in trials right now, as well as maybe a monthly injectable. And Brian, a way to do this in combination with other drugs that could actually curb some of those side effects. Another big downside of this is muscle loss. When you look at how much pounds Mm. people are losing, about a third of that, Brian, is muscle loss. And I really warn patients, you need to keep up with usually higher protein diets and you need to hit the gym to try to strengthen muscle mass. And that's not often what people want to see. They want to lose the weight, but there are some downsides. That's fascinating. So if you you drop 30 pounds, it may not be 30 pounds of fat. You could drop 10 pounds of muscle mass, which as you get older is a problem because it's really... Exactly. Uh, as somebody who's getting older, it's hard to, to regrow that. It's hard to build that back up. It is. I tell everyone, including my uh, ladies who are over the age of 60, 70, 80, lift, lift weights, lift them properly and lift them heavy. Not if you're on just on these drugs, but you're right. I think that we lose muscle mass naturally every year as we age. These drugs accelerate that. So look for other manufacturers to come in that can kind of unseat Lily. And don't forget, Brian, about the price. You covered this. 
We are seeing huge employers, entire states dropping coverage. So imagine if someone can come in, curb the side effects, and come in at a lower price. That could be a game changer. Yeah, kind of become a designer drug if you can afford just to pay cash. Right. It's like a thousand a month. Dr. Kavita Patel, great stuff on, on things Thanks. everybody's talking about. Doctor, thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Still ahead, Tesla's problems continue to pile up. Is a shaking up of its board maybe part of the answer? Stay with us. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Some potentially bad news for Elon Musk, Tesla, and its shareholders. A bombshell report from the Wall Street Journal claiming several current and former members partied and took illegal drugs with the tech mogul, members of the board. Now, you may recall a Delaware judge recently nixed Elon's $55 billion pay package in part because of Musk, quote, extensive ties to the same board that apparently approved his pay. Tesla's shares fell over 3% today, down 27% this year, but up over the past year. Let's talk more about this. Musk's relationship with the board, with Tesla investor and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki, Ross Gerber. Uh, Ross, first off, who do you think the journal, I'm, they're not going to publish something unless they got good sources, even if they don't name them. Who's leaking all this stuff lately? Well, there's 80,000 people at Burning Man, so it doesn't take too much to see Elon there parting with everybody. You know, it's kind of like common knowledge. So, there's plenty of people that have partied with Elon, so I don't think it's hard to find anybody, you know? Yeah, but um, I, I will say the, the Google founders, I think, you know, they, they went to, to Burning Man. I, I, there's been mm -hmm. many tech CEOs that have gone to that. Is Do these reports trouble you as much as they apparently trouble some other people? There's actually a technology section of Burning Man, you know, if you want to be more specific. And, you know, I, I'm kind of from the deadhead scene, so I kind of know who does things and doesn't. But that said, you know, the computer chip was invented with the Grateful Dead sitting around, you know, the same area at the same time. So there's a lot of, you know, history of innovation in psychedelics. But that said, it doesn't really trouble me, per se, as much as it would trouble other institutional shareholders, you know, being a deadhead. But that said, I think it's all about optics and people want to have confidence in a board of directors in a company. And, you know, hearing about people partying, it was bad enough the time he smoked weed with Joe Rogan was like considered a, a you know, kind of a big scandal at the time. And we're talking just a hit of a legal drug. So, you know, it's just, it's really hard to get institutions to invest billions of dollars in a company when the CEO sort of admits to be doing psychedelics. Yeah, and I want to be clear, though. I mean, he and Musk said, you know, he's got drug tests for these NASA contracts for SpaceX, and he's passed every single one of them. I mean, we well, have that's, reports that's, that's of unnamed fair. people, they, they, and I saw him maybe doing this with that person, possibly. But we also have passed drug tests, which is, like, that's... You know, at least no, no, no. The drug tests do not test for ketamine or psychedelics. Drug tests typically test for cocaine and heroin and and cannabis and things like that. So psychedelics, you know, those of us who are deadheads know, you yeah, know. But do we care about they those? They don't test for it. I mean, I they I don't mean, test for those drugs. 
I mean, ketamine is illegal in certain uses, but it's also prescribed in certain ways. It's a new thing to be prescribing ketamine and psychedelics to deal with mental and emotional issues. And if that's the case that Elon has mental and emotional issues that he's been prescribed psychedelics for, that would be another thing that investors want to assess, you know, is the fitness mentally that he has to be CEO. If that's in fact the case that he's being treated for mental issues. So, you know, quite frankly, this is all just a big distraction from the fact that Tesla needs to execute and sell cyber trucks and get full self-driving to work. You know, I just put a list of 10 things Tesla needs to do to get their stock going back again. And all of them are execution issues. And so this is, you know, once again, I'm not that concerned about Elon's personal time and whatever. What I'm concerned about is he's not at Tesla building trucks. Does the board need to be rebuilt? It's only got eight people on it. Two are named Musk. It's got his buddy, Joe Gebbia, who founded Airbnb. got James Murdoch of of the Murdoch News Corp fortune. Do we need to remove some of them, add new people? How? What? Well, this is the trickiest part for Tesla because... Essentially, anything the board does, compensation or major decisions can be challenged now by investors because, you know, Delaware said the board isn't independent. And so it would be false and misleading to imply that they are. So they really need to get rid of three or four board members and replace them with truly independent board members that have no financial ties to Elon. And the problem with that is that Elon isn't going to want to deal with those people. And I learned this when I ran for the board a year ago. There's no desire from anybody at Tesla or, or within Elon circle to have an independent board. Elon controls the company 100%, even though he only owns 13% of the company. But it's going to be very hard for the company to move forward with the current board. And this is, I think, one of the reasons the stock is selling off is because changes have to be made if yeah. if there's going to be legally binding things happen. But Elon certainly isn't going to like those changes. So how does this all work itself out? And I think that's the challenge Tesla investors are yeah. facing. Ross Gerber, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, sure thing. Coming up, a gravity-defying decade. Microsoft, Satya Nadella, marking 10 years CEO. John Ford is here with some exclusive commentary from Satya and what maybe next. Welcome back. Here's a quick watch list item for you. It's called NVIDIA. And NVIDIA is closing in on Amazon in terms of market cap. Today's close, NVIDIA's market cap, $1.71 trillion, just shy of Amazon's $1.76 trillion. So if NVIDIA's earnings, which come out later this month, come in big, it is possible that NVIDIA could become bigger than Amazon. Not bad for a company that was worth just maybe like $100 billion five years ago. Speaking of tech, it has been 10 years since Satya Nadella replaced Steve Ballmer as the CEO of Microsoft. Since then, Microsoft shares are up tenfold. It is now the world's largest company with more than $3 trillion in market cap. John Ford has a look at what this milestone means for Microsoft and for Nadella. Who knows? Future wins are not guaranteed. Because what came before, like today, we may be whatever, uh, whether it's the stock or the market cap or what have you, but tomorrow, it's no guarantees. And especially in tech, there's no franchise value. I, that's kind of, I remind <laughs> myself of this as nothing lasts forever. Um, and so, and we've been through, you know, some dark times on that and back. And so therefore I am more grounded perhaps than that. Um, so therefore I always am looking for saying, okay, what's next? 
Uh, and can we build enough capability and conceptual understanding of what's next inside the company long before it's conventional wisdom? Quite honestly, by the time you ask me about something, if I'm like saying, what is he talking about? Then it's all over. No one thinks it's all over now. So how did Microsoft get here? Well, the first thing to understand is Nadella reset popular assumptions about how a tech CEO competes. The decade before Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft was a decade of decline. The company had seemed unstoppable after the 1992 release of Windows 3.1. In this video, you're going to see the future when Microsoft seized and dominated the PC and early web browser markets, crushing Apple and Netscape. But after the Justice Department sued and nearly broke up the company, Microsoft lost its equilibrium. In the new millennium, after the dot-com bust, new powers rose as Microsoft foundered. Jeff Bezos and Eric Schmidt conquered the web with logistics and search. A thousand songs is mind-blowing, but iPod's even more than music. Steve Jobs reinvented mobile and media with the iPod and iTunes. And open source technology, a grassroots movement from software developers, rewrote the rules of how business software is created. Microsoft's previous CEOs had considered this a battle for every screen. To take on Google, they invented Bing and tried to buy Yahoo. To take on Apple's iPod and iPhone, they invented the Zune and bought Nokia. None of it worked. We want to empower every individual and every organization to be able to thrive in this mobile-first, cloud-first world. Nadella's new approach? Instead of trying to beat other platforms, he embraced them as a home for Microsoft Office. And instead of undercutting open-source software, he vowed to make it work better on Microsoft's cloud. It was part of a broader strategy to work better with partners. If you look at cloud, AI, and the Open Data Initiative, the idea that even a small business in Indonesia can now use SAP, Adobe, and Microsoft to become that much more efficient is the real opportunity. At the same time, he modeled a rare approachability, particularly for Microsoft's old culture, where the smartest person in the room had license to become the most powerful, and the most powerful had license to be a jerk. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything all the time, but let's have a rich dialogue, let's have that empathy for the other person's point of view. That is, I think, what has made America what it is today, and let us make sure we don't trade that off. Now in 2024, a new Microsoft. After more than $140 billion in acquisitions and reshaping the business model, the next challenge looms for Satya Nadella. This era, it's the partnership between Microsoft and OpenAI. Can he navigate the AI transition as well as he navigated the cloud? We definitely want the benefits of this technology and we want to mitigate the unintended consequences. The leadership that's required and the coming together of all the parties that is required is challenging, but it has to be done. If he succeeds, he might just extend this rare run. Hitting refresh on Microsoft. Has the new element on the page loaded yet? Or are we still waiting? We as individuals are dealing with change all the time, and we're hitting refresh. We learn from it. And cement his legacy as Microsoft's third, but not necessarily third best, CEO. If you look at what specifically can Microsoft do, I think our best days are ahead of us because it's a software-powered world. My thanks to Fahim Al-Ali and Ed Fetner for the edit and work on that as well. Uh, Satya Nadella is just 56, so he could keep doing this, uh, presumably, for quite a while. Great piece, great interview. Good stuff, by the way. Big shout out to Fahima, my 
OPEC producer as well. So multi-talented there. Amazing. What's the takeaway on Nadella? Like what you knew Steve Ballmer too. Mm-hmm. What is the diff, what, what was the difference? Nadella worked there. He came up. What did he bring that was so different? Than Balmer dancing aside. Well, first of all, I think Steve Ballmer doesn't get enough credit, right? Okay. So, yes, wow. he did some things. He did some things wrong. The stock price. The Zoom. He did some things wrong. <laughs> Gates left at just the right moment, right? Dot com bust everything. The profits, the revenues from Microsoft were growing substantially over that period of time, and he did incubate server and tools, the stuff that became Azure, that led Microsoft to be in the cloud position it is now. He gave Satya Nadella a lot of rope that he's now using to climb Microsoft out of the hole, right? Um, so, so there is that. But part of what Nadella did is change Microsoft culture. It had become a culture of nerd bullies where people were afraid to make mistakes because if they weren't the smartest in the room, somebody would tell them who was. And if you're not gonna fail fast, you're not gonna succeed in this fast-moving cloud and AI-driven culture. So he shifted that you know, know-it-all to learn-it-all thing, that's helped them a lot. The culture, I mean, you go there, you're in the, you're in the buildings. I've been there one time, and that was forever ago, and it was freezing cold rain, and it was, you know, it's just a gigantic campus. Yeah. You see all the tech companies. How's the culture at Microsoft seem? Is it, is it a happy place? It is good? With the stock up, I got to imagine the employees are smiling. Well, I can't tell you. A lot of Porsches in the parking lot, John. I haven't spent a lot of time at Microsoft post-COVID with a lot of people in the building. So, you know, because I'm not, I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is my interactions with Microsoft employees here, my interactions with them online, they are jazzed about the way that it has shifted. And the old strategy was Windows everywhere. Now it's more Microsoft everywhere, and it's not led by Windows anymore so much it's by their uh, developer proficiency. And that's a different mindset. Kind of the engineering mindset in a way. It is. And it's a little bit more customer focused, which you had to be now. Back in the past, like Intel would give you, you can have any flavor of chip you want just as long as it's black, right? (laughs) Microsoft, you can have any software you want as long as it's Windows. We're now in a more adapted, adaptable climate, and Microsoft was well-positioned. Intel's now trying to get better position. I'm just going to rewatch that just to see the Bill Gates Windows 3.1 video that was in there. This <laughs> is see the future. future. Hey, we're going to see the future. We did. We're living John in the future, Ford, Brian. Pre- yeah. Yeah, we are. Appreciate it. Better than the past. John Ford, thank you. Great stuff. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, the pinnacle of its power. Is it time for meta, maybe all social media, to be reined in? Billionaire Frank McCourt has a plan to try to do just that. He's got a new book, and he is here. Next. Believe it or not, it's been 20 years since Mark Zuckerberg created thefacebook.com. Since going public in 2012, shares have surged more than 1,000%. Zuckerberg celebrated the anniversary with a video posted to Facebook and Instagram, captioned in part, We're still at it, and the best is yet to come. But Meta's success has not been without intense scrutiny. Zuckerberg has been grilled by Congress eight times. Meta's apps now reach nearly 4 billion people. And with elections ahead and well-known mental health issues with kids and teens, does Meta, and maybe social media, need to be reined in a bit? With us tonight is billionaire civic entrepreneur and Project Liberty founder Frank McCourt Jr., also the author of the upcoming book, Our Biggest Fight, Reclaiming Liberty, Humanity, and Dignity in the Digital Age. Also, former 
owner of the L.A. Dodgers. Not bad for a kid from Boston. Frank, uh, it's good to have you on CNBC and Last Call. Thank you. Without going to the mechanics, I was looking at your proposal. You've got some, you know, digital networking protocol type things. It appears you might be coming at this as well, not just from some sort of moral ground, but from a technology ground. Yeah, that's right, Brian. I mean, we have as a as a builder myself and a family of builders for the last 130 plus years, you know, we have an engineering problem here. We have an infrastructure problem. And and if we can fix that, then we can start building healthy social media platforms and so forth on top of it. You know, you mentioned Meta 20, 20 years old. Well, there's been damage done for the last 20 years, and this has gone in a direction that's totally unacceptable. And we need to fix this problem before it's too late. You know, it's funny you mentioned roads because I feel like social media is kind of like the birth of the automobile and the highway system, right? I, when the first cars came out, there was no roads, no controls. It was horses and cars, people getting run over, highways. You know, then we had the seatbelt. Then we had speed limits. But it took a long time, Frank. How do we use that? Because social media, 20 years is not that old in the grand scheme. It's not that old in the grand scheme, Brian, but it's very old in tech terms, right? Uh, technology moves at a very, very fast pace, much faster than horse and buggies. And so I think you're with the analogy you're drawing on that, you know, when we started building roads and cars, it was very, very unsafe. And what we did is we designed safety into the infrastructure and look at what we created. It was, a, it, you know, the engineering marvels. In social media, the Internet itself, is it was never designed to, to be used in the way it's currently used, connecting billions of people. And centralized autocratic surveillance apps like Facebook are doing great harm to society. They're, they're harming kids, as we're hearing over and over again every day. They're undermining democracy. Enough is enough. Project Liberty just conducted a, a, a global survey, seven continents, people across the aisle, very, very concerned about the harms of social media. It's time we fix this. Give us one practical. They're not. They're never going to be shut down. We, maybe TikTok, but you know that it's not going to happen. There's too much lobbying money. Too many people are on it. Congress has done nothing. What is one practical, realistic thing we can do to help fix it? Because to your point, it's causing a lot of mental health issues with kids and teens. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we're left with. Now, let's use an example of parents and kids and social media. Right now, parents are left with a choice: Do they? allow their kids to be on social media and knowing that there's a lot of uh, a lot of damage being done to these kids and these young men and, and men and women or do they withhold social media completely from the kids which is uh, equally uh, problematic so either way it's a it's a lose lose for the parents let's build a third alternative one where young young children can be connected but in a less toxic environment so I say let's build an alternative to the current Internet. Let's build it. Let's it, maybe a better way of putting it, Brian. Wow. Let's evolve the Internet now, just as we evolved other forms of infrastructure in knowing what we know now. Let's build it to work for people without harming them. The book is going to be fascinating. Uh, and every parent out there listening right now understands exactly what you just said. Frank McCourt, uh, bold proposal. Come back anytime and let us know how it's going, Frank. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, you're very welcome. All right, coming up, Make It Mondays. And this one is so good, you can taste it. And we will. We're going to meet the entrepreneur whose dumplings are sealing up millions. 
I'm proud of Black Heritage because of the resilience, ingenuity, and adaptability that exists. And I'm encouraged by the collective action of the DEI pledge and organizations and people that are attempting to make change permanent. All right, it's, it's Monday, we're told. So that also means it's Make It Mondays, where we celebrate America's small business and entrepreneurs. And tonight, we're going to dive in on some dumplings. Nadia Lou Spellman is the founder and CEO of Dumpling Daughter. She has turned a family dumpling recipe into a restaurant and a frozen food empire based in Boston, Massachusetts. Take a look. I love dumplings so much. They're just such a gift. Dumplings are truly a form of art. My name is Nadia Liu Spellman. I am the founder and CEO of Dumpling Daughter, and my dumpling company has brought in over four and a half million dollars in the last year. I grew up spoiled with the most incredible Chinese food at my parents' five-star dining establishment. My parents always urged me to go out and get a real job, which meant don't go into the restaurant business. So I was an investment banker in New York City. And I realized very quickly that it bored me. I ended up asking my mom, I said, can I move home with you? Under one condition, that you train me and you let me work under you in your restaurant. From the notes that I took while working in my mother's Chinese restaurant, I wrote the business plan for Dumpling Daughter. Our restaurants have been the beating heart of our business two and a half to three million dollars and our consumer is about a million dollars right now because we're still considered a startup. I found the first location for Dumpling Daughter in my hometown where I grew up. We had lines out the door and around the building for weeks. When we opened Dumpling Daughter, we had a combination of handmade and machine made. I knew that if I wanted to sell a lot of dumplings, hand making dumplings was just not sustainable. Chive dumpling is the dumpling that I ate growing up. Now we offer dumplings in the frozen section of your local grocery store. We also sell dumplings nationwide to your door, shipping frozen dumplings, buns, and sauce. We sell about 50,000 boxes of dumplings a month and anywhere between 1,500 to 4,000 dumplings a day through our restaurants. Dumpling Daughter has changed my life because it has proved to me, myself, that I can be the self-sufficient woman my father said that I should be. I would say I am the Dumpling Daughter. And coming here all the way from Boston is Nadia Lou Spellman on set because your mom was, used to have a restaurant in Inglewood Cliffs, where we're based. Yeah. So you know this area. I'm very familiar. Well, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Uh, investment banking to dumplings. That's not a normal career path. I'm glad I did it. You know why? Because in the investment banking office, this show is on 24-7, and now I'm on it. So I think selling dumplings was the way to go. This interview is going to go very well. <laughs> you said that. You brought in dumplings. I, why are you so great? That's my next question. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Wow, no one's ever asked me well, that Well, you're just complimenting the show and you bring in food. No, so where can people find these? So, so we know this. Building a, a, building a dumpling shop is one thing, but building an empire to sell these retail 
is a totally different skill set, I would imagine. Let's go back to the first question. I'm great because I honestly try to just do what I believe in. And this is a high quality dumpling that is- Why don't is, we judge for ourselves? Why don't you try it? Well, what, what, what do we have? <laughs> which ones do we have here? So this is our secret sauce. Our I know, family it's not recipe. a soy sauce. It family says sweet recipe. and spicy soy secret sauce. Yes, so it's aromatic, it's sweet, it's savory, Just it's like spicy. Me. Sounds like me. There's uh, so many flavors in this sauce. You can put it on anything, but here we're putting it on our dumplings. What do we have here? Pan-seared chicken and cabbage, steamed pork and chive, my grandmother's recipe. This is your grandma's recipe, steamed yes. pork and chive. Yes. How's the sauce, the texture? Mm. So good. <laughs> Just keep talking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it really is my goal to share my grandmother's recipe oh with as many people I'm as not possible. saying that because you're here and it's TV. I'm, I'm legit, like, we love to order food in for the team. We love our dumplings. I know Max, he goes to something, dumpling every week. These are fantastic. Thank you. you so can where, get, can we, where can we find these? Yeah, so we are in about a 1,000 doors right now. We're still young, but you mm -hmm. can buy us nationwide mm -hmm. on our website. We're also available on Amazon. The cookbook that my mother and I wrote together, the sauce, they're all on Amazon. And direct-to-consumer, frozen dumplings, buns, sauce, and merch. Your restaurants are in Boston. You have three. three are they in Boston or are they kind of on the edge of Boston? Brookline, South Boston, and our first location in Weston, Mass., my hometown. That is fantastic. And what, 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 is there a le lesson from your mom and dad, like one thing that really stuck out to you in building this business? I think it's that you have to really trust your gut, do what you're passionate about, be true to who you are. Speak your truth. Do what you believe in. I'm trusting my gut right now. My <laughs> gut says these are pretty freaking good dumplings. That's <laughs> Thank you. So that's it. And what's next? Oh, and it's Lunar New Year. Well, so that's it's, right. The, this, and these are very good luck for the year of the dragon. Everybody this, this must This symbolizes eat dumplings. money. Yes. Everybody must eat dumplings on Saturday, February 10th. For the Lunar New Year. Yes. Because, because the it dumpling. brings wealth. Because Chinese are very superstitious. So you have to eat symbolic foods. This is the most symbolic food. They, they represent money bags. You must eat them in the morning. I'm going to eat them right now. <laughs> Nadia Lou Spellman, Dumpling Daughter. Thanks for coming all the way here. Thank sort of back you. home. Appreciate it. Folks, thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow night. Time to eat. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.